episode 219 of Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare, and the podcast guest is Susan Elia McNeil, who's the Hollywood spy. Her 10th mystery featuring Maggie Hope is about to be published. Thank you for taking the time to join the podcast. Thank you, Nancy. At the end of The King's Justice, Maggie decides that a road trip might be just what the doctor ordered. So she decides to go to Los Angeles slash Hollywood with best friend Sarah Sanderson, a ballet dancer who's going to film a movie choreographed by George Balanchine. Maggie has two thoughts on a sunshiny Southern California morning, one right after the other. We're not in London anymore, a nod to the Wizard of Oz, and same war, but such a different country. Yes, that's how I wanted to start out um, in the King's Justice. Maggie was in a pretty dark place. And what I wanted to do was show the, the sort of darkness of London as kind of like the black and white of the Wizard of Oz and then have her go sort of over the rainbow to the gorgeous Technicolor Los Angeles. Um, and the war, the war does look different to her. For, for a Londoner, you know, the war is bombed out buildings and rationing and, you know, air raid sirens. And that's not quite the case in, in Los Angeles at that time. And also the war had been going on for two more years in England than it had in the United States. It started in September 1939 for the English. And it didn't start until essentially the beginning of 1942 for the United States. That was absolutely that was sort of a heavy duty year plus uh, like the Battle of Britain. <laughs> right. Right. And Los Angeles was also, you know, the, the staging point for all of the war in the Pacific theater. So that's not something that Maggie and her friends were used to really. I mean, they, of course, they would follow it and read about it. But, you know, to see the soldiers, you know, massing there before taking off for the islands must have been, you know, something. Well, you touch on this in your acknowledgments, and I have to admit this has always been a place where I climb on a soapbox. But when it comes to California, there's a perception that there's no history here, uh, with maybe the exception of the discovery of gold in 1948 and the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. And yet you open the Hollywood spy with a depiction of the Zoot Suit riots of 1943, which was a pretty significant event. in which the U.S. military, uh, specifically the Navy, uh, was involved. So can you talk a little bit about that sort of point in 1943? Well, of course, uh, when I started doing my research, um, the Zoot Suit riots were June of 43, um, and that was right before Maggie would have arrived. So that's that's what people would have been talking about. It's what people would have been thinking about. Um, And I did want to show... this clash of cultures, this clash uh, between the military and people who are from Los Angeles um, as sort of a backdrop because really in the US, the World War II was a war that was fought internally as well as externally. You know, you have people of color fighting for rights. You have Japanese people fighting for rights as well as people fighting the Nazis. So it's, it's a fight of fascism on two fronts. And I thought the Zoot Suit riots were a good sort of starting off point. And I think uh, I have to, I just absolutely have to mention that one of the aspects of the Zoot Suit riots and the uh, prejudice against uh, Hispanics in Southern California 
there has the, the asterisk has to be that they were here first. Oh, absolutely. That California was part of Mexico until uh, 18, until 1848, uh, when it was ceded to the United States. Um, interestingly, nine days before gold was discovered uh, by the Treaty of uh, Guadalupe Hidalgo in Mexico City. So it, uh, it was interesting. It's, to me, that's an interesting fact and, and completely Indeed. ignored. Yeah. But there's a whole Lotus Eaters vibe that the war didn't touch Los Angeles and Hollywood and that nothing could be further from the truth because Nazis were everywhere in Los Angeles. Hitler loved movies. So as you research the story, were you surprised at the breadth and depth of Nazi activity here in Los Angeles? You mentioned, Stephen J. You mentioned Stephen J. Ross's Hitler in Los Angeles. And I was also a big fan of Laura B. Rosenzweig's Hollywood Spies, The Undercover Surveillance of Nazis in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. I love that book, too. I just didn't deal as much with uh, the Nazi influence on U.S. films. But yeah, it was such a hotbed of, of actual Nazis because, of course, um, it's a port city. Um, you know, you, you have you have many ships coming in. There wasn't that much oversight. So you have arms coming in. You have money changing hands. You have propaganda changing hands. So actual Nazis were handing things off to the American Nazis of Southern California. And there was actually a Nazi camp in the hills above uh, Pacific Palisades that I used to hike to when I was in high school. We thought it was quite the hoot. Yeah, I mean, they were preparing a, a bunker um, basically for Hitler for when, you know, after the Nazis won the war, he would want to go to Los Angeles and use that as his uh, meeting point for uh, people from Japan. Oh, what could have been. I say that with total irony, by the way. I know, but it, it does seem like something from uh, like the man in the high castle, but it, it's really true. And as you said, there, it's still parts of it still exist and you can hike past it. Um, and wherever Nazis are, Maggie is, is on the case. Um, and then and in, in the case of the Hollywood spy, she's been asked by her former fiance to look into his current fiance's death. And, you know, what Maggie starts to uncover, like, the, like the onion is there are secrets everywhere. And the need, and, and I found it interesting that need to know became dangerous uh, here in, in Los Angeles, as it often does as much as in, as in her work in London. So can you talk about the often fraught relationship between the allies, England and the US? Here's Maggie trying to help her former fiance who's working on behalf of the UK, um, in the United States, in the film industry. Yes. So it, it is, it's, it, I think it was always a fraught relationship and I think it was always, um, something that was covered up by the quote unquote special relationship and all of the propaganda, just as the propaganda had all Americans standing together, shoulder to shoulder. Um, there was also that feeling of unity with, uh, the UK. And the truth is that, in the summer of 1943, no one knew how much longer the war would last, but with everything going on in Russia, it seemed fairly certain that the allies would win. 
And so it was not just a matter of winning the war. It was also a matter of winning the peace and who would get a big piece of the pie of um, air traffic, which was going to be a huge industry post-war because there's so many developments went on and in, in, you know, flying and airfields and whatnot. And um, the other thing was, uh, you know, the rise of communism, which was a definite thing going on because, you know, after after the Nazis were taken care of, what was going to happen with Russia? So that's sort of an undercurrent in the novel as well. You do end the novel uh, without without any spoilers, with with John sort of ruminating on what's going to happen with flight. And Maggie says something along the lines of, "Imagine getting on an airplane to travel um, as you would a train," and and. And I, that had never occurred to me before that that what became part of the positioning, because as you said, everybody was concerned with how they were going to win the peace. And they were already looking at Europe and going, mm, what's going to happen there? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, John is John raises, I think, well, I at least found them pretty interesting questions about you know, the the rights of error and like who would, who would be establishing that and who would be establishing dominance and would it be the US or the UK? I do find it the irony though, that that Britannia used to rule the waves. And and now a Brit is wondering who's going to rule the skies. Well, it was the next frontier, right? So In the case that Maggie is investigating, um, there's there's a look at homosexuality and Hollywood, which I think uh, maintain uh, an armed neutrality then and now. Um, And perhaps that tolerance, if you can call it that, has been the case with so-called creatives for a long, long time. Certainly Maggie's good friend David has to keep his, it's, it's sort of known, but not known that he's, you know, like that. Maggie has an aunt that's like that. Uh, an aunt she calls on, by the way, to get an entree to a uh, professor at Caltech, which I, I thought was fantastic. Yeah, so, they have a little history. <laughs> so did anything in your research into Hollywood's uh, closet surprise you? Um, I think, you know, I loved doing research on the Garden of Allah Hotel, and it doesn't exist anymore, of course, um, but it, it was basically across sunset from the Chateau Marmont where Maggie was staying. And it was definitely a place where people could go and be their true selves. And it was it was known and they had their own security. So like the police would not be called and people felt really safe to express themselves. So that is one place where people could go to feel very safe. And the police in Los Angeles, that's an interesting, uh, you know, that that's an interesting thing because uh, I don't know if you read John Button's LA Noir about the birth of taping uh, people's conversations. It, it, no. it may have started there, but the police were, no, the Los Angeles Police Department specifically was notoriously corrupt in the 40s. And um, you have two partners, one of whom uh, has secrets, the other of whom is sympathetic to the Nazi cause. 
uh, and that creates uh, some interesting encounters, shall we say. Loved the dog, by the way. Loved him. Oh, thank you so much. So glad there was a dog. Based on a real dog. And just for everybody listening, nothing bad happens to the dog. You know, it's interesting that you say that. I I interviewed a number of writers over a number of of years. And and Robert Craze has sort of a small series with Maggie the dog, interestingly, who's a police dog. And and when I interviewed him, he said, people said to me, he said, cops, commandos, people that drop out of airplanes, people that whose job it is to hurt other people said to him, I'm not going to read this dog, this book if anything happens to the dog. Just not going to relate to that. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I, I would not do that. You will never find that in my books. Anyway, it's an amazing dog. And I, I thank you for, for, uh, Tallulah, Tallulah putting her in there. And, uh, and she's, she's an amazing character who has, an important part because dogs have an important part in our lives. And also, I mean, I liked the character of Tallulah um, because she did bring a bit of levity into an incredibly serious situation. Like I felt that she really sort of humanized Abe, the policeman character. And I don't know. I liked having her there. And I, you know, I'm, I'm in a way, I'm sorry. And this leads in, in, into my last question, which actually, why don't we hold that thought? I, what I, another thing I thought was, I think there's so many good things about all of your books, but one of the things I liked about this one was uh, that Maggie had to remind people that she was in fact major hope. And do you think that women's contribution to the war and not just World War II, any war for that matter, will ever be acknowledged, will ever be noted? Wow, that is a very good question. Um, well, I certainly hope so. Like no, no pun intended. Um, I, I don't know. I really don't. Um, it's been a pretty dark year. Maybe if you'd asked me last year, I would have said, yes, of course. Like, oh yeah, everything's going to be great. Uh, one of the things that I did when I was doing research, it was so interesting. I did a lot of research on the Hollywood canteen And even then, um, it's so interesting that the servicemen could go in and they could dance with the hostesses and they got free food and all that sort of thing. And they could hear the big bands. The women um, in the military who went actually had to go to an upstairs, almost like a, a balcony kind of situation where they could look down on the action, but could not be part of it. And I found that so infuriating on their behalf. Like here they were also fighting for their country and they couldn't jitterbug with the soldiers. They couldn't, you know, go and mingle with the celebrities. They couldn't do all the fun stuff. They were basically, you know, cloistered. So, they had to, you know, like they, almost like a, some religious faiths, they had to look from afar. Yes, absolutely. So I didn't know that. And I guess it never occurred to me, well, what were the women in uniform doing? I just assumed that they would be dancing and jitterbugging with, with the guys, but, but no. So they were, they were watching. And then uh, when they were, you know, in service, they were dying sometimes, you know, not, maybe not fighting on the front lines, but they were certainly um, not all of them were surviving what was going on. So, so it's, it's a, it's a deep seated issue with the military. Definitely. 
as one of those reminders of her rank as an officer comes up at the end of the book, she has to remind somebody who shall remain nameless <laughs> that she's a major. Um, that's his, her next mission is emerging. And I don't want to talk about it because it's, it's something that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, so you don't have to be specific, specific, but what can you tell us about Maggie? And oh, thank you for that. There will be a, a Maggie number 11. So, oh yeah, absolutely. There will be a Maggie number 11. I think what's really great about the Hollywood spy for Maggie is that she really comes into her power and she really sees herself as the powerful woman that she is. And we all see her as that, but she finally sees it herself and speaks up for herself. And in regard to SOE and all of the spy missions and the secret agent missions, um, she finally assumes a leadership role, takes, if you will, a, a leadership role. Um, it is not given to her, but she takes it. So I kind of, I kind of love that about the book. And I kind of think we're going to see a very new Maggie in, in the next, the next few books. She says to them, you, I don't need you. You need me. Yeah, it's true. And for, for this particular mission, especially they need her particular her contacts, her skills, her knowledge of the region. So they really do need her. And she finally realized that, that, you know, they can't treat her badly anymore. Like she, she is going to run the mission. I am rubbing my hands actually <laughs> and metaphorically and, and hoping that you'll come and talk to us again about this book. But before we go last year, when we spoke, we talked about, uh, Maggie making it to a screen near you. Ah. Are there any big screens anymore? Uh, so <laughs> I, I have to ask, is that still a pace? You know what? I can't believe I'm saying this, but it, it is. Um, so I'm knocking on wood. Yeah, I'm knocking on wood over here. Um, so it's been under contract a number of times. And, you know, I've always had these really high hopes of what's going to happen. They've always been dashed. And they, they were dashed um, last year, right before COVID hit. And just before, um, I got an offer from uh, Warner Brothers Pictures um, for uh, TV rights. And I signed with them. And of course, everything was put on hold uh, because of COVID and because there was a lot of restructuring in the industry. But um, now it's making the rounds yet again. So, you know, hope springs eternal as, you know, they say, and I just, you know, I've got my fingers crossed and you never know. You never know. And I think uh, being on this side of the continent and, and sort of Hollywood adjacent um, that there is a search for good content. And this mm -hmm. certainly uh, fits the bill there. I mean, you've, you've got lots of stuff for them to look at and, uh, I shall say no more on that. Oh, I do have one thing to add though. Um, the man who sort of spearheaded this is, um, absolutely wonderful. And I, I trust him implicitly. If anybody can get it done, he can. And one of his very good friends and colleagues is Dolly Parton. <gasps> so Dolly, 
has been reading my books, Dolly Parton is a Maggie Hope fan. So I mean, yeah, that like it made my pandemic basically. That was that was like I don't know. That was incredible to me. Well, since you mentioned pandemic, um, you you are fortunate in that you you write a, a series set in the past. So you don't have to deal with pandemic with a contemporaneous series. series. But um, are you going to have live in-person uh, events for the Hollywood Spy or is it still virtual or is it a hybrid or what does it mean to this book? Well, this book, um, The Hollywood Spy, is coming out July 6th. And we are all going to, we're going to do all virtual events. Um, although I will be signing stock and for some places like the poison pen in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, I'm going to be sending them books that are signed. And for some, like the community bookstore in Park Slope, Brooklyn, I'm going to be going over there to sign. So, you know, there will still be signed books. We're going to do everything by zoom. I'm hoping that by the next book, uh, you know, things will be back to normal. Whatever that is. Whatever that is. But, you know, back to being with people. I miss people. Uh, I'm almost getting to that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I miss readers. Yes. I, I would imagine that a writer, uh, especially a writer with a series and a series with fans that are very invested in, in the heroine and her crew, as it were, would miss the readers because it you must have some fabulous conversations with them. Absolutely. And wonderful friendships and also with booksellers, just amazing people. Thank you again, Susan. I, I look forward to talking to you every year about Maggie this Yay. year, last year, and many years to come. Thank you so much for having me, Nancy. Nancy.